You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello and welcome to episode 305 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined by Seth Miller and Fosma Moon. Gentlemen, good evening. How are you? I, I'm I'm warm. It is 100 degrees here today. In oh, see, you made fun of me. You got mad at me for having my air conditioner running. Payback's a bitch. It, <laughs> it is, except my my air conditioner's quiet. Fine. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> uh, is it? I mean, is has the weather improved where you guys are at? It, I mean, the heat wave broke. It was gray today, but it was like high in the mid seventies, I think. So. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it's a nice yeah. change. Yeah. What about you, Foz? New Joe, is he? It's actually very mild. It was. It rained for the first half of the day. Then it was just overcast and cool in the seventies. I don't know what rain is during the summer. We haven't had rain in like two and a half months, three months. So don't you get enough of it in the winter? Yeah, yeah. I kind of miss it. Um, I want to talk about. The TSA considering a new system for flyers without ID. So for those who don't know, you can actually fly. Uh, you can go through security in an airport without an ID. Um, and there's there's a way there's a there's rules on how this works. And you know this this basically allows people who have lost their ID or have never had one to to travel. Um, and so the TSA is actually talking about changing those rules. Um, and this is you know. They're after this comes after the fact of the real ID uh, thing that was implemented. So again, the real ID is these IDs that are uh, the DHS can the deems compliant with the Real ID Act in order to fly. And the TSA has always said that they're they're going to make that their method for validating whether or not you are able to fly. Um, so I don't know, Seth, did you read this? I, I don't know if you had I, that or not. I, I am. I, I, I'll say I've skimmed over it, um, more than read it. Um, the real ID thing, good to remember that the TSA has been saying it will be a requirement now for many years. And October of this year was the latest deadline that was once again postponed a year. Um, this time because of the pandemic, not because of anything else, but historically, the TSA has held very firm up until probably 60-ish days out and then be like, ah, crap, we still have a bunch of states with people who aren't going to be able to fly. Mm. We don't want to deal with that. Mm-hmm. So um, putting that aside, it it seems like what's going on here is they want to sort of outsource the questioning of – so if you show up without an ID and you say, I lost it or whatever – they ask you a bunch of questions to prove who you are, and it's yep. t- you know it goes through sort of public at public databases. Um, LexisNexis has a big one, PeopleFinder, I think. Uh, there's a couple others out there, but they know things about you, and you have almost certainly gone through this sort of thing on a website when you try to register for certain accounts, like a bank or whatever. Where they're like, which of these cars have you ever owned? Which of these addresses? You know, mm-hmm. all those kinds of things. They use random public data about your history and try to discern, you know, what color was the uh, Dodge Dart you drove in 1995, and one of the options is always that's not I, like I have no idea what you're talking about. This that was never a thing for me, um, which is <laughs> it's sort of like an interesting out of you never really know. Um, so it seems, but they do it like they take you into a back room. Someone makes a phone call to a data center operator, and like you answer the questions, and then you get a yes or no. It seems like instead they want to contract it out to a third party. And also uh, require a smartphone app, which I have to think if I've lost my wallet or lost my ID, there's a decent chance I don't have a phone also, but who knows? Um, I would agree with that. All sorts of things. Um, 
yeah, there, there's some weird stuff going on in what they're going to require and how it will play out. Um, I mean, I mean, to think about it, right? Like if you are on vacation and your car is broke, your rental car is broken into, they're taking everything. They're not, they're not leaving your cell phone so you can go through security. Like that's not on their mind. Well, what are you going to do if you don't have a a smartphone? Well, that too. So all those, all those, uh, you know, boomers who use jitterbugs, uh, you know, and lose their IDs can't, can't fly. Yeah, I, I think the real ID thing is stupid. I think the insistence on ID as a prerequisite to flying is stupid. Um, so there's a lot of those sorts of things being compounded here. Yep. Uh, it's it's interesting, and I, I don't know uh, in a, in a sort of academic context of what the way that they're trying to put this together. Um, but the idea of if we can't prove who you are, you don't get to fly. I find completely bizarre. Is is um, do you think this effectively kills flying without an ID? And and in most forms, unless people have this smartphone app. Well, I mean, certainly not this year. So, uh, and it hasn't been implemented. It hasn't even been, they the RFP process is just starting. So who knows? Um, would this? It's kind of, oh, you have to pay for it too. Yeah, no, no credit card or debit card, no fly. That's basically the rules. Yeah, that you have to pay for it is actually the piece I find most uh, objectionable. Is this just a money grab? Presumably it's the TSA not wanting to spend the money. But it, how much is the existing program costing them? Whatever the call center and the data is costing them, but they still have to have the data. In this, even in this instance, right? Because uh, the they app. use a commercial. It's a commercial data broker. Accurate is the name, um, not Lexus's database. So I don't know. I mean, how much does it cost? A lot of money. Let's well, assume that it's a number in the many millions. Well, that's but real. It's a small number, you know, in the grand scheme of things. But it's a lot. You know, it's real money. This is the TSA. They'll still have the people reading the data from the app input to validate it manually. <laughs> Like it'll it'll go to the, the 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 data broker and they'll be like reading it off their screen to validate yeah, it. Yeah, they'll print it. They'll go and type in another window and say yay or nay. Yeah, I think that they're going to try to make it a little more like applying for a bank account or whatever. But putting that aside, the fact that they want to charge for it is bizarro to me. Um, I mean, not bizarre, but unfortunate. Uh, yeah, I, do I think it's going to happen? It's really hard to say. Um, especially just. Eventually, my streak of being able to say, no, really, the TSA is bluffing. They're not going to require a real ID is going to mm-hmm. run out. But I'm many years into being right so far. So, Yeah, I mean, they've, they've promised it for how many years now? And, I mean, Oregon still they, – they were finally telling us right before COVID hit, you know, oh, you by October, you got to get your real ID or fly with your passport. And then that went out the window with COVID. So I'm with you. I believe you. <laughs> Um, I mean, we have at least another year to figure it out. So, yep, yep. So, uh, presidential candidate Joe Biden is not going to have a campaign plan. This is a definite change for how we've seen, you know, potential presidential uh, officials travel around. Right. Well, I think a big part of it is he's not really planning on traveling. Yeah, he hasn't really left his basement. <laughs> um. It- you know, I haven't left my attic, so except to go occasionally <laughs> to the basement. So I, I feel that. 
Um, no, I, I, it's an interesting. It's definitely an interesting change. Uh, certainly saves the campaign some money, and obviously it could pivot again later in time if there's a reason to do it. But you have a campaign plane, so you can go fly and hold huge rallies. And right now, holding a rally to gather thousands of people together in a even outside seems like probably not the smartest thing for someone to do. Yeah, I mean, didn't we see? Didn't someone say that Trump was in? New York the other day we saw like a shutdown of airspace. Yeah, his brother well his brother passed over the weekend, so he was visiting his brother on Friday. Oh, I got you. Okay. So he was traveling up. But he's got some actual uh rallies planned in Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Arizona, I think, coming up. Yep. And he, but he can fly Air Force One to get there, so you know. Yeah. Um Yeah, it's interesting. I mean it's kind of like John McCain had one. Uh everyone. Recently. Everyone has had a has had a plane pretty much. I mean, yeah. It's wild. So, yeah, in, in some ways, I mean, takes a little bit of the aviation fun out of the campaign. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, the I think we learned that Biden was Obama's vice presidential pick because someone had pictures of the plane before it was announced because mm. they painted the plane. Yeah. Right. So that and when they were when people were trying to figure out who would eventually be the Democratic nominee, which is now, you know, we know it's Kamala um, trying to figure out there's a lot of people tracing down private jets in and out of Delaware and surrounding area airports trying to guess at which one might be carrying someone from, you know, if, it, if a plane came from South Bend, was it carrying Buttigieg or something like that? Like, yeah, yeah. You know, trying to make guesses of it based on things like that, which is interesting and stupid all at the same time. <laughs> yeah. I, I So I have a question for you, Seth. I'm looking at this this Axios article, and there's a there's four pictures. There's uh, Barack Obama's plane, there's Hillary Clinton's plane, McCain's, and Mitt Romney's. The on the Hillary Clinton plane in the top right, there's like a it's an interesting cheat line. Do you see that? Like it it looks like United, does it not? It it has the swoop like United's uh, current planes do. Absolutely. Um, it's a little lower than the United one. Okay. Using less, it's, it wasn't a United plane, if that's what you're asking. No, no, I was wondering, did they get their uh, design inspiration from Hillary Clinton's plane? Well, it looks like... Now, I think they got it from the Boeing... Uh, oh, just the Boeing. Livery. Yeah. It's, right, it's the Dreamliner came with those by default, and then United sort of adopted it. It also looks like the old U.S. Air livery. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. I didn't realize Obama used a 757 instead of 737. I didn't either. And it looks get- like Mitt had a... Almost like in DC nine or yeah, that's what <laughs> it looks 80s, like. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, a little lower, a little more pointed nose. Yeah, uh, and then McCain and, and Clinton know. had some thirty sevens. Yep, yep. Surprised no one bothered with an A three twenty. It's a little wider, a little more space. <laughs> uh, foreign, foreign built. Set. Yeah, foreign, foreign built. What, what if it, what if they got one delivered from uh, Alabama? <laughs> Do you guys do you guys kind of feel off your game on this show? I, f- I feel off my game. I don't know. Maybe it's just the weather. <laughs> Wait, because we're talking about travel and we don't travel anymore. Yeah, that that that's probably, <laughs> yeah. Um, I was going to talk about Cape Air real quick. Uh, Seth, you posted a, an article about the Technum P twenty twelves are grounded. Yeah, that's unfortunate. So this it's, is their new plane. Uh, yeah, uh, it's supposed they to replace were, the Cessna four hundred twos. They were really bragging about these things. They got a hundred of them on order. And they've got about a dozen of them on property already flying all over the country. And turns out that it's had some problems. Uh, right? Like, on the one hand, sort of understandable teething pains of a brand new clean sheet aircraft type entering service. Yep. Uh, it is not a 
Dreamliner just because, you know, level of troubles, A, because far fewer have been delivered, B, because none of them have had fires that melted holes in the fuselage, and C, because it's a tiny little plane. So it's not getting quite the same level of attention, but, you know, someone suggested to me, and I think it's a bit of hyperbole, that basically this is like another 737 MAX debacle in the offing. It just hasn't had the crashes yet. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, you know, I, I probably not, but um, they, it was delayed a few months for entry into service because some troubles with the computers that uh, the FAA insisted that they work out, which, yeah. you know, justifiably. Uh, there's a lot of interesting uh, things developing and like they were grounded for a while or they, they went, they didn't start until March when they were supposed to have started like in October or November or something like that, 2019. And then they finally got up and running and were mostly working and then... They actually were grounded again, and it's a little hard to chase it down just because so many planes were grounded over the summer anyways, but they actually were like all of all 12 or 11 that were in service, the 12th was just delivered, uh, was finally grounded in mid-July, and then they started up again last week and then had to stop again. Hmm. And this time around, it's, it was a very interesting wording of the uh, situation. They're saying it's not a technical or a mechanical problem. But in order to allow the FAA and EASA to have a conversation, because EASA, it's, a, it's an Italian-built plane, so EASA is the certifying regulator and FAA is the operating regulator, uh, in order to allow the two of them to have a conversation about some changes to the elevator trim control system, which very much is a technical and mechanical part of the aircraft operations, uh, they are going to voluntarily and temporarily ground the fleet uh, for some period of time. I mean, so it's a strange wording that they would say, this isn't a technical issue, uh, but then you read about it and it's, there's modifications needed for the elevator trim. Right. That, that, that sound, sounds technical to me. It's, to me too. And you know, I'm not a <laughs> professional, but <boy. laughs> you kind of are. Yeah. So are you. I mean, you've actually, op- <laughs> you've actually operated aircraft. <laughs> I mean, is it, do you think it's like a save face type thing for Technum to say, this isn't necessarily a technical issue, or is this kind of just they don't want to raise alarm? I, I think more the latter. Mm. Um, there is some precedent for it, which is actually interesting. I, you know, will admit to doing all of my research on Wikipedia, but uh, <laughs> not all of it, but a decent amount. Uh, making sure I had some of the details right, and there, there was, I think, back in two thousand seven or so, three in in-flight engine shutdowns. Uh, really, on the Cessnas. And they chased it back to the crankshaft counterweight failing earlier than expected. And without the FAA demanding it, uh, Cape Air grounded the entire fleet, spent like three days checking all of them and then slowly bringing them back into service. When And I presumably found some additional ones that were likely to fail. But hmm. um, so, you know, it, listen, like it's bad for business potentially like you know lost revenue although right now that's less of a concern but crashed airplanes are really bad for business yeah yeah it turns out who's gonna funk it and and if you know cape air is really thinking about the customer here then it's not that bad that they're taking the planes out of service to to look into this issue yeah. and they've got cessna still on property that they can substitute in yeah but yeah. i think the other thing is cape air couldn't take a devastating blow right so they're being more cautious than a larger airline would be, mm. right? And oh, it, it, they couldn't it, afford it. You mean? Yeah, it makes business sense, right? If they have one incident, you know that that ends badly, that could be the end of their business. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. And I mean, with COVID, like kind of like what Seth was saying, like with COVID, they're they're already their numbers are probably pretty low as far as passengers count. So why not take the time to just do the right thing? And and if you need to fly, fly 402s. And if not, you know, you have these planes out of service to, to make sure they're safe. So, yeah, makes sense to me. Um, Seth, you had another story, actually, that you posted. Uh, United uh, has announced. Huh? What? <laughs> you just, just kind of laughed. Uh, United has announced a bunch of new flights that are not from or to hubs. They're just random point to point. I mean, I say random, but they're just point to point flights. Uh, and a COVID lot of them express, were to, baby. And a lot of them are to Florida. Winter in Florida. Everybody wants to go, right? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I know nothing about that. <laughs> it's warm in the winter there compared to the north. Uh, I see. Um, we, have, we have different climates on the east side of the country than the west side does. <laughs> um, so this is this is all for the winter season then. So when do these when would these start? So a few of them start in early November. Uh, okay. Most of them run December, so like December fifteenth to January tenth, something like that. Okay. Um, plus or minus. So it's a it's a few weeks. Um, it's yeah, it's interesting. So Boston and LaGuardia get flights to Fort Lauderdale, Orlando, Fort Myers, and Tampa. Okay. Which, if you're like me and thinking, gosh, that sounds like a lot like the JetBlue route map, you'd be right. <laughs> and then it's, I miss some of them, I'm sure, but like Pittsburgh, Columbus, Indianapolis, Milwaukee, and Cleveland um, also go to Fort Myers and maybe Fort Lauderdale, something like that. Cleveland gets all four of the Florida cities also. Okay. Um, so it goes from being was hub hublet dehubbed. We're moving vaguely back towards hublet again, <laughs> um, but I think probably minimal connecting traffic. So maybe not really. Uh, it listen like I'm more skeptical eh, skeptical of it than Brett Snyder of at Cranky Flyer is. He he and he has experience you know working in airline route planning and revenue management stuff. So maybe he knows more. Um, but his his comment was basically. Demand to Florida is for Christmas is basically infinite, and everybody can get some of that pie if you just throw a few flights at it. I'm a little less convinced, um, certainly this year, that it will be infinite demand. Mm -hmm. But also, if you're United, why not throw these flights on the schedule? It costs you very, very little to do that. Worst case scenario, you say, ah, never mind, we're not flying them. We'll reroute you over one of our existing hub connections. And when the passenger says no, they get mad. But, like, no one stays that mad at airlines long enough to not buy them the next time when the ticket's cheap. So, so the whole point here, I think, is picking up cheap traffic, right? There's just, I don't see a world where United's going to get to charge a fair premium on these routes. Well, I mean, you were sh- you you have a there's a there's a Twitter post from Henry Hartfelt. $27 for basic economy on Newark to Fort Myers in October. Yeah. And that was a United matching a JetBlue fare. You can, you can buy Newark to LA or San Francisco for $29 right now. I mean, crazy. Crazy. But it reflects the demand, right? I mean, but, but does or it? lack thereof. Yeah. In, but does it in the case of the West Coast stuff, right? They're running wide bodies now. Yeah, but they're, they're still mostly empty. Are not not most of them. They're not that empty. There's really? empty seats, but I would say they're somewhere between seventy and eighty percent full of most of the flights that I've seen. Hmm. So there's demand between coasts, but they're still. Doing well, there's also fares. still very few flights, and also like I don't know. I will. Um, 
I, I think that United has continues to say that its load factors are terribly low. So, you know, mm. some flights maybe, but I think without more broad data, it's hard to say for real that there's definitely a lot going on like that. So for things like LaGuardia and even – is Boston slot controlled? No. no, Boston is not. But LaGuardia is. So is United just using some of their other slots for things like Chicago and Houston? And yeah. Putting, and putting the Chicago these. flights, which are – right. Chicago was basically an hourly business yep. commuter that clearly, even in the good days, wasn't really needed between Christmas and New Year's. Yep. And certainly now isn't needed between Christmas and New Year's. That's kind of wild. And then Boston, Boston seems like an interesting choice. I mean, that Delta's kind of made that a uh, hub at this point. Um, and it's it's an American hub, correct? I mean, no. would, you, would you call it an American hub? No. No. Uh, but, an American but Del- is scaling back and get in seeding that market to JetBlue for its code share feed thing. Okay. So you've got you've got JetBlue now United fighting for some of this southern Florida uh, central Florida traffic uh, along with Delta. Um, who wins that battle? I guess it all depends on price. <laughs> Don't forget Spirit and Frontier. Oh yeah, yeah, I can't forget them. And if uh, you want to fly to a, you know, to Punta Gorda instead of Fort Myers, or to Sanford instead of McCoy, um, you got Allegiant too. Oh, okay. So I mean, that's a, that's a lot of competition out of the Boston area. A lot. And less, 20, less Boston out of Allegiant, but anyway, yeah. But like that doesn't. But like twenty seven dollars fares do not make an airline, unless you're Spirit or Allegiant. Eh, they don't even make Spirit and Allegiant, man. <laughs> I think the question is, well, if they get another extension to the CARES Act, right? Because then it's in essence labor is free, mm. and you're just paying to keep the planes in the air with fuel and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think this is going to be like a lot of the announcements. Hey, look, we're doing this thing. Okay, demand wasn't where we thought it was going to be. We're changing it, and I mm-hmm. think we'll find that out down the line. Or, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe a crap ton of people are going to be ready to vacation in Florida by December. Um, what I mean, are they, I'm, I'm ready to, but I'm not going to. What are they using for these 737s? Mostly 737s or A320s. I think there's one flight that's an E75. I mean, could they downgauge them to 550s or even 145s if there's enough demand but not enough to fill the bigger plane? You got to deal with aircraft rotations and getting them to and from. So maybe, maybe not. I don't know what the how the regionals would deal with moving the planes out of the hub sort of flow as well wonder, as mainline. Yeah, I wonder what they would do, like at LaGuardia. Um, I guess they could. I mean, they have. I guess they have the Dulles flight yeah, and the Cleveland exactly. flight. So yeah, yeah. Or just position from Newark. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's the uh, East River and Hudson Express. So. <laughs> Maybe beat the Van Wick. Yeah, may- maybe. Uh, you know, what I find interesting is the amount of traffic going to Fort Myers. I've never been to Fort Myers. Seth, I don't know if you know a lot about it. Is it a popular destination? Uh, the only time – I've been two or three times in and out of the airport. The only time for more than just a like, oh, look, there's an airport there I should fly from uh, was spring training. Oh, okay. So the thing about Fort Myers is, right, there's – two migratory paths from the north to the south. One is to the east coast of Florida, one is to the west. If you live along the eastern seaboard, you'll end up going down the east coast of Palm Beach and all that stuff. If you live in Michigan, Ohio, uh, and up north and that way along 75, you end up going towards Fort Myers and Tampa. Yeah. And, and so there's a lot of people who settle in Fort Myers are from, like, Ohio. Mm. And that's that's why you get like Milwaukee, Indianapolis. All those flights are going to Fort Myers. Gotcha. Okay. It does yeah. make it does make sense. There is some demand there. I get it. But yep. 
Um, one other thing, um, just United factoid, uh, a, a United uh, executive is missing, right? Like this is news. What? The VP yeah, of sales. Yeah, uh, the VP of sales, worldwide sales, has been missing now for almost a week, I think. Um, What's this? Yeah, I'll I'll post the link here real quick. And you yeah, he went to allegedly go run in uh, Forest Preserve near his house. His car was found there, but he was not. Wow. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of it's a wild story, um, and no one really they're just asking for any kind of help, and I think they're having search uh, crews looking for him. Um, but yeah, it's I don't I don't it's the kind of story that just never seems to end well, um, which is really sad, uh, but. Yeah, just thought we'd mention that. Wow. Yeah. Um. Anything else you guys want to chat about? It's kind of a short show. Oh, Breeze. Let's talk about Breeze. Uh, these guys are still trying to figure out how to get an operating certificate from Compass or anybody. <laughs> how does how's that going to work? Well, Sun Country is pretty annoyed. That's for sure. <laughs> so what what are they doing? So. In February, Breeze applied for a new certificate, uh, went through the process, and, you know, is, like, working through this, working through everything fine. There's a lot of paperwork involved, takes many months, yada, yada, yada. Um, even harder in the middle of a global pandemic that's decimating air traffic. Um, when Compass went out of business, I guess, a month or so ago, or they went out of business a long time ago, but about a month or so ago, uh, Breeze announced that it was going to buy the operating certificate from Compass. And it turns out that the FAA doesn't let you sell the operating certificate standalone, really. You sort of buy the remnants of an airline and then resume operations under the existing certificate. So it's not quite um, just buying the certificate, but it sort of is. Um, And the idea is that they try to buy as few of the overall components that are necessary to get the certificate and get it rapidly returned to service. And so usually it's also like you buy all the training manuals and the process stuff and you have to bring over some of the employees and things like that. And so when they applied for that in July, um, it is a separate sort of public filing that allows for comments from everybody, Mm. including other airlines and uh, Alpa, the airline pilots association and a few other airlines all were like, Hey, um, this is interesting, but you redacted way too much information and there's a bunch of confidential stuff. Uh, per policy, we're usually entitled to review that before casting our you know, vote on to whether we think you should be allowed to do it or not, or, sent, right. or sharing an opinion. Um, there's a little bit of drama around that, except, I mean, not drama so much, it's just it took time, but Compass and Dries were like, yes, of course, we always do that. Feel free. As long as you sign the affidavit, you can have our confidential information too. Um, the DOT eventually approved it. Uh, Sun Country came back with a response basically saying, get a hold, get a load of these guys. Uh, not only are they trying to, they're tying up FAA resources by having concurrent applications in process during a time when the FAA doesn't really have spare capacity. And they seem to think that it's reasonable that they're going to launch in October 15th, on October 15th, but that's way too close. There's not enough time to process it. This is stupid. We don't know what the hell they were thinking. Um, I'm paraphrasing, and, obviously. And what's what's Sun Country's big hang-up? The, the ability of them for to compete? Well, that, I think really one the of the under- concerns... Yeah, I think one of the concerns is that Compass has a Minneapolis base. Mm, okay. And while Breeze hasn't indicated 100% that what routes it's going to fly, they did indicate that they were going to focus on the Midwest. And Minneapolis is a big part of that. So 
Um, there's a risk there. Um, separately, ALPA, uh, the pilot union, finally got their information, and they filed two responses back-to-back days, which was an interesting sort of quick run of information. One of them was that, you know, we, we still don't have all the information, we don't have enough time, we need a, a, an extension for filing, but it's okay because just today, uh, Breeze indicated that they're not really going to fly until 2021. And I reached out to the contact for Breeze, who was like, no, we never really said 2020. I was like, well, except that you did in the filing. He's like, yeah, but that's just a placeholder doc. That's just a placeholder date. It was never really firm. So apparently what you put in those documents doesn't really matter. Take that for what it's worth. Um, and then the next day, Alpa came back, and this is where it gets real interesting. They were like, yeah, we actually have no objections as long as they respect the fact that it's Compass. <laughs> and honor and honor the collective bargaining agreement that exists between the company and its pilots, which I bet Breeze would not want to do as a low Probably cost not. carrier, right? Low cost or otherwise, generally speaking, airlines don't want unionized workforce. I mean, at least Compass is a regional carrier, so it'll be more favorable. Will it? Possibly. I mean, I, I don't know what the CBA looked like. I don't know if it had allowance for larger aircraft, right? Like, I don't know what all those things mm-hmm. look like. Yeah, I mean, generally you wouldn't negotiate mainline aircraft into a regional agreement, but yeah, you, you, we don't know. But there would be a framework around which that would be negotiated eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, if it's anything like any of the other airline, U.S. airline uh, CBAs I've seen, there's the framework that says if it's this plane type, these are the numbers over this many years of seniority, depending on which seat you sit in. And so, and if it's any other plane, like, there's usually a, you know, sort of asterisk, any other plane will be negotiated or work under these rules while we're negotiating it kind of thing. Mm. So it leaves the door open, though. Yeah. But, so still not as good as showing up and having a... uh, at will employee base. Yeah, yeah. So the non-unionized, everything's at will. That's different. Sorry. Are, are JetBlue's pilots unionized or no? Yes. Okay. Um, are there any airlines where the pilots are not unionized? I mean, I would have to go back and look at some of the smaller ones, but Spirit is, I think Frontier is, Hawaiian is. So at that, you know, that size and up, no, hmm. that I'm aware of. Yeah. yeah. There's flight attendants that are. Yeah, no, I know a lot of airlines have flight attendants that are not, but uh, the pilots, I don't think I know of any airline where they're not unionized. Yeah, and JetBlue has been a few years now, but it they made a big deal of the negotiations that they aren't, you know, they were the first air, U.S. airline to come to an agreement that uh, that had no furloughs for their pilots. Hmm. Um, so how do you, I mean, does, based on your read of their saying, oh, you didn't really mean 2020, um, do you think it's reasonable to even expect them to start operations, or are we just going to see this thing drawn out, kind of like as they well, wait? Twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you think they'll just they'll just push it and keep pushing it till at least twenty twenty one, or do you think they'll you know we may see them early twenty twenty one? It'll depend on when they get the certificate, um, and then once they have a certificate, there's the process of you know going from that to being able to operate. Mm. So uh, early twenty twenty one would be the you know basically assume a year delay at this point. Yeah. from the original plan. Um, it's, th- there's arguably some good that comes out of that in terms of the plan was always a couple months of charter than scheduled service. And so if you start in like March, you run charter for March, April, May, you got peak summer demand that you can start up your real service that'll help with revenue numbers and passenger count. Of course, this all assumes that, you know, people are flying again. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. 
Uh, Foz posted uh, just recently in the chat, actually, that uh, Lufthansa is dropping all wide bodies other than the 748s. Maybe. Yeah, Maybe. It's, starting to, it's starting to be rumored that they were getting rid of the three, 340s and the seven um, and the 380s, the rest of the 380s that they haven't already parked. So, I mean, to me, that sounds like we'll see far less flying from Lufthansa in the long term, even after they take a uh, delivery of 77Xs. Right. Yeah, I think they've already haven't they delayed those already? I think so. Well, but, they have and Boeing has. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but, but I think but what I was going to say though is like three four threes, right? That's like the backbone of some of their like off uh, peak markets: San Jose City, Austin, etc. I find it amazing that you call it San Jose City every time. I'm sorry. That it's it's okay. It's it's SJC. Like I get it. Yeah. But. You're the only person in the world I've ever heard call it that. But how, San do Jose. Know, how do we know it's not for San Jose, California? Fine. <laughs> San uh, Jose. It's, you mean Costa Rica? They fly there? <laughs> Sorry, no. I'm <laughs> they do. They uh, do. <laughs> uh, yes, the 343s are you. They were used for. They went to City Line, which was like the low cost long haul. But now there's also maybe they're going to try to bring back another long haul low cost. Mm. Codenamed Ocean. Oh, just what we need. Um, for whatever idiotic reasons, so, uh, so yeah. they, they have three well, thirties too, right? They do have three thirties. I, I don't three thirties really aren't on the chopping block. But it, what the funny thing is, the only plane um, that'll be left from a sizable perspective is the seven four eight, which you would think, given the six, lack of success, that would be the last one to survive. Mm-hmm. Well, they're young. They're young aircraft, and I mean they they aren't going to be super cheap to operate, but they've got sufficient there's their flexible configuration right they can they've got a process where they swap out sections of seats to increase and decrease business class premium economy economy depending on demand and seasonal so there there is sort of a justification for trying to um keep that around in that sense well i think part of it might also be they're not limited to certain airports like they're with the 380 yeah mm. Right, so it gives them a lot more operational flexibility. Not have to worry about can this plane go into this airport or not. Yeah. And and how many seven four eights do they actually have? That's a good question. Um, but they, I mean, there are existing three eighties that they haven't retired. They've parked twenty twenty two already. Mm. I'm just I'm just trying to figure out. Okay, so let's say the three three thirties. I guess the three thirties become the backbone of the non heavy demand routes. Um, and the 748s become the, the heavy demand routes. So LAX, JFK, San Francisco. Um, they have 19. Nine that are active and 10 that are parked. Wow. I, I just, I, I'm just thinking about all the high demand routes that they really have, like or historically. You know, Hong Kong, Tokyo. Um, San Francisco. San, San Francisco. LAX. Uh, Buenos Aires. Uh, Johannesburg. You know, you would need a lot of planes to operate some of those. I, I think you need more than 19. So I think what we see is kind of a down gauge on those as well, and maybe a, just a cutting of places like San Jose and Austin and, you know, et cetera. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to definitely see that some of these smaller secondary and tertiary markets are suspended longer. And then as the 777X joins the fleet, you can start to regrow some of that. Yeah, yeah. Just um, depressing. Yeah. <laughs> no, definitely. I mean, uh, seat-wise, it's about 100 fewer seats on the 330 than on the 748. Okay. It's about 330-ish seats, I think, 330 to 350 versus 230-ish by my I mean, very rough math that may be wrong. A 330 should be able to make it from Austin to Frankfurt, no? Yeah, it does. I mean, they, they've flown that before yeah. uh, when they were first starting the route up. So, 
Yeah, I don't think it's a problem. I was just thinking like it's going to be that three thirty is going to become the backbone of that that you know type of market. They will, yeah, because I mean they have, I'm looking at their fleets now. They have fifteen three thirty three um, three hundreds. Ten are active, five are parked, but they have um, twelve active three fifties and another four parked. Oh, I always forgot about the three fifty. Forget yeah. about them. Yeah. So I mean they'll have three thirties, three fifties, and the seven four eights. Yeah. But it does also it basically starts to signal the end of Lefty First Class. Because the seven forts are the only ones that'll have it. Yeah. Yep. Get it well before it's gone. Yeah, or don't. <laughs> or don't, because you shouldn't be flying. Um, yeah, I don't, listen, if you're in Europe and you've actually taken shit seriously, why not? But I'm just, I, I feel like I need to, our sort of rants about that last week and otherwise we should qualify a little bit. If you're living in a place that's actually dealing with the troubles properly, then go for it. But behave behave <laughs> i love it uh, well guys i think that's a show uh to our listeners uh thanks for for listening thanks for supporting the show sorry it's it's this week's a little uh little slower i think i think we're kind of all feeling a little uh beat up by covid and the heat um so but thanks for listening and uh, happy travels in the future bye-bye take care, take care.